So James, we had our first out of Central Belt training session this week. Wow, so far away. Do you want to guess where it was? Uh, You'll never get it. I don't know why I asked. Newcastle. Oh, you were actually really close. <laughs> it was Newton Moore. That's basically the same thing. <laughs> I genuinely thought you were about to say it. Wow. Okay. I mean, the thing is, you could have cheated and actually checked our PinkElephant.com Twitter oh, and you would have seen it. Yeah. Maybe I'm you an did. I'm avid follower of your, that Twitter account. That means that means then you also will not have seen my 11-minute deconstruction of Boris Johnson's presentation skills. Wow, 11 minutes. That, that is worth watching. Nice. Nicely done, actually. That sounds impressive. Yeah. You know... Sack your two-hour folding ideas YouTube when you've got an eleven-minute pink elephant YouTube. Exactly. Who needs who needs the hours of stuff when you can have the minutes of stuff? Who needs in-depth, really important dissections of socially important, crucial <laughs> global societal matters when you just watch me make fun of Boris for using Greek? Yeah. Like, who cares about changing the entirety of the internet's view on NFTs and stuff when you can have like call and talk about Boris? <laughs> Who cares about a 90-minute dissection of transphobia and TERFs oh, when you can just watch me? Uh, yeah, no, I do I do love those uh, really long-form uh, YouTube stuff. I, I, I've subscribed to so many that I can't actually watch them anymore. I just keep opening them, yep. having that tab look at me for a month, yep. and then giving up. <laughs> I've had a tab of tickets for Dylan Moran open for over a month and it's just sitting there every single time I load up my computer even when I like close it and then load it back up it's still there it just sits there the double sad thing for me is I've got a a double I've got a a two-layer tab system I've got the tabs and then I've got like one tab which is a thing to put your tabs in so it like stores them for the future but less active so it uses up less of your PC resources so right some of these videos they stay on the the top layer for a month and then they go into the layer two for another month and then eventually I just delete them and I'm like I, I I missed that I guess it is the sad realization that of all the things that I want to see and watch and yeah. movies and films yeah. and, and two hour YouTube videos yeah. which are all really worthwhile and well worth watching I will never be able to watch them all. It's so sad. It really, it really, it really hurts sometimes. But it's even the fact that, and I think this is a lesson to myself more than anything. I'll put like a, a seven-minute video into my YouTube watch later playlist, and then six months later, it's still there. And I'm thinking, mm, yeah. I must have had seven minutes at some point to watch this. Why haven't I? Yeah, the short ones, it feels a little bit more like you can judge yourself. The long ones, I think anyone can understand. Like you're, you're, you're looking at a feature-length film's worth of YouTube essay. That's hard to find the energy for sometimes. It's also hard to like, I can't even comprehend how long it would take to put together. I mean, it's easy enough when you're just doing audio and there's two voices and that's it and some music that you can click and drag. Oh, the effort levels, oh. yeah. Wow. I mean, it's impressive what people are cracking out these days. Granted, it, you make a ton of money from all those views, so you've got a full team, you've got right. a ton of time. Well, you're, you're saying, sorry, when you're saying you, you mean like, as in the the, the celeb YouTubers, not the me. hypothetical you who is making a feature film length essay. Yeah, that version of you, not actual you. Do you know, it's, it's funny, there's an aspect of that I'll talk about in uh, one of the movies I watched this week, which we'll get to later on, Tick, Tick, Boom, oh. in which Ooh. Jonathan Larson, who is uh, the character played by Andrew Garfield, who's a real guy, is beating himself up because he's about to turn 30. And as a musical director, right. his his passion, right. he hasn't done anything. And he compares himself to, for example, oh. when he was 30, 
Paul McCartney had written his last song with the Beatles. Right. Stephen right. Sondheim had already won a Tony Award. All these things and, and saying like, what have I done? I've, I've just done all this stuff and nobody's seen it. No one's watched it. And his, uh, I'll get into the review later on. Suffice to say, it is very, very good. And it's also a musical, so that helps. Right. And a little bit too real. Well, that's the thing. Like the part of it, I'm, and the thing is, he comes to like a happy conclusion, ish, at the end. Right. Which is, sorry, I, this is this is getting far too deep early, but he wants to make his musical direction his career. Yeah. But comes to a point where he's like, you know what? I can just be a waiter with a hobby. It could be a passion, <laughs> and, yeah. And I can use my creativity. In my job, and actually that was a little bit reassuring because because I'm thinking as I'm watching this film, I'm like this, this is me. This film is about me. <laughs> Not like me to make things about me, but uh, yeah, watched it and thought, <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. And then he he talks about how and the film demonstrates how you can still use your creativity in your you know your regular schmegular job. Yeah, and that's what I do. It is what I do. And, 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 and I've got a hobby on the side. Pretty grateful that most of my creative things are hobbies because there's much less pressure that way. True. Like when I when I when I go through a little bit of a music brain starvation and I can't make anything for months, it's just, it's not like hey, I am now poor and destitute. It's like well, <laughs> uh, we'll try again soon. There is a, there is a pressure, oh, uh, usually ones we put on ourselves. Yeah. To do things which are like super successful and, and and make us lots of money, it's just not going to happen. No, and I think the sooner that we all accept that, I'm again speaking mainly to myself, the better. Indeed, and you just do things for the joy of doing them, which is why after 280 episodes, we're still here, having I, not I, made a single penny. And there is joy, I'll tell you that. That is true. That is true. Well, James, what has brought you joy this week? Oh, uh, oh, my, uh, my cat. Got better. They're, Zelda was really unwell last week. It was very sad, oh. but they're they're back to normal this week, and that's really quite a joyful thing. Nice. That's good to hear. Was was she okay? What was wrong? It's just an infection. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing major. Well, I had uh, a weekend up north with some siblings. Oh. And it was most enjoyable, and it just felt normal. That was the main thing. It was myself. Sorry, I should re- I should rephrase. It was me and Graham. It wasn't just me. Right. Oh, it was just so lovely to just be there and for there not to be any, like, people who didn't want you to be there. Understandable. <laughs> Everyone was just hanging out and it was it was great. I had such a good time. And it was that really lovely feeling of, you know, this is this is joy. This is what well, this is. Lovely. When you finally get to be yourself with the people you love most and they love you for it. So, yeah. Congrats. It's quite difficult to segue from that to a Russian-Ukraine war. I'll be honest. I got something completely like brainless and meaningless we can talk about it first to kind of go from nice to nothing to bad. Okay. I got the same delivery guy two days in a row for two very different <laughs> things. And that just like was a moment wow. for me. I-, I opened the door and I was like, Interesting. Taken aback. <laughs> I know you. Oh, <laughs> but they didn't say anything about it. So I felt a little bit unrecognized. I'll be honest. It's probably because he does hundreds of deliveries a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just another guy. Exactly, but yeah, I was. Just, I don't think that's happened before. Two days in a row, two deliveries, same guy. I, I felt like that was a pretty good dice roll. I, I can't even genuinely think about it. I don't think I've had the same guy twice ever, but maybe I just haven't noticed. It's harder to notice with more with more of a gap between. That's for sure. I mean, in twenty fifteen, I had to, I didn't have the same guy twice ever. Hey. And to know <laughs> Russia. And now. <laughs> Now, Russia. Okay. Uh, no, for real though. That's that's uh, super interesting. And dear well, listener, no, it's completely nothing. That was the point. <laughs> if if you've had something 
super interesting slash very banal. You can get you can get in touch with us and Have tell you had us. The same delivery person twice. Do you live in a town of only one delivery person? So me saying that story was like obviously not weird to you. Please tell us. Yeah, or maybe you were like me and you picked a random episode and ended up listening to the time that I put Cecil Parade on Grinder and attempted to get people to listen to us that way. Did it work? I don't remember. And James poked holes in my plan by saying, what do these people think the podcast is about, considering the app you're using? I mean... And then I, I, and then I closed the account. Uh, well, 2015. You just made the joke. That was 2019. Right, yeah, but like you're, you're, the podcast now is quite relevant to the grinder space. Let's let's put it out there. <laughs> That's a fair point, actually. Yeah, <laughs> get that account open again. No, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Graham might have a thing, a thing or two to say about that. But uh, no, in terms of it's for mar- advertising, I swear, great, great marketing slash advertising ideas. That's that's up there. You know, you you get away with that. Although then people will start like asking Cecil Parade uh, questions. Questions. Can you host <laughs> a podcast? Okay. Well, if you would like to ask us a question at Cecil Parade on Twitter and Cecil Parade at Gmail dot com, welcome. I should really be welcoming everybody to the show first before we <laughs> give out contact information. <laughs> yeah. This is Cecil Parade. I'm Colin, and he is James. Yeah. And we are Scotland's longest running, yeah. least dull podcast. Absolutely. Your new favourite podcast, unless popular, than people spilling coffee on their carpet every day. Mm, I don't know if anyone's a fan of that. So, adequate. <sighs> I will take this. Do, do you know what was interesting? I did the, a, a training session with Highland Spring, the water bottle people. Right, a very important company. Sorry, bot- bottled water people. And one of my first questions, because it's media training, we're meant to ask the awkward questions. I said, okay... Mr. Boss, why do people buy water in a bottle when there's just perfectly good water in a tap? Yeah. yeah. And they said, well, it's like when you go to a coffee shop and you pay four quid for a really nice coffee. Is it, though? You could have instant coffee or you could have a really nice coffee because Is it? people in London... Oh, the water from London. their taps yeah. has gone through about eight different people. Yeah, no. Yeah. Whereas our water has come out of a hill. I keep forgetting that other places that can buy Highland Spring maybe don't have the good tap water. Yeah, okay. I get it now. Right, yeah. And it was just that kind of light bulb moment of, oh, yeah, there are other people outside of Scotland. I never thought of that. Yeah, our country is not the entire world. Oh, some yeah. places have hard water. BRB just going to go and simulate nuclear explosions in my country again. I was... I was significantly old when I figured out what hard water and and lime scale and all that meant. Yeah. All those like adverts talking about like dealing with lime scale and hard water. I I had no idea what that was about. I thought it was going to be a problem I'd somehow encounter in my adulthood, and then eventually I realized it's just other people have water that is just made of rocks. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> but again, in the same way, when I was younger, I was like, "Is your water hard? Do you have hard water?" <laughs> Your water's soft, mate. You got soft water, huh? Like, leave my soft water alone. I want a hard water. I want to have hard water. I'm always soft water. <laughs> Can never get the hard water. Anyway, that's that was a. How do you keep your water hard as you age? <laughs> Move to London. It's always hard. So that was an interesting conversation. I can't remember what the point of the story was. Um, oh yes. Coffee or water right? yes. or something like that. Yes. But anyway, less popular than bottled water? Yes. That's fair. That's accurate. Okay. I'll allow it, yeah. Okay. Anyway, Seesaw Parade. Welcome. Episode 280. 
Yeah, pretty good number. There you go, decent number. I'll take that. And if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can. Just rewind a couple minutes and I read out the details. So thank you very much. And thanks to those of you who did get in touch. Oh. I have uh, a couple of reviews to get to later on. Anthony, I did say that uh, we would play your review on this episode because last episode was, you know, first European-based war in 80 years. So right. it kind of superseded it. Wait, mm, I don't I don't like that. I don't like that as a label for this war. There's been wars in Europe ever since, like, World War II. You, 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 know, what, you know what I mean. It was it was a major well, event. Well, no, yeah, no, the first one, the first one that the Queen cares about, probably. Yeah, <laughs> the, the first one that Sainsbury's has taken a stand on. <laughs> Not on our watch. We are rena- we are renaming. And this, Europe is a peaceful continent. Did you see this? They were renaming and have renamed their uh, frozen chicken-based dish to oh, no. Brave Kievs. Wow. Not even kidding. Oh, Brave wow. Kievs. I didn't see that. That's. Really, really good. Uh, and, and, <laughs> it's also, help uh, and also, people. And also, and I should really correct myself. It's uh, Kiev, not Kiev. That's the English Kiev. English pronunciation I, uh, of it. It has been pretty fun watching everyone complain about how all the newscasters are pronouncing Kiev, and I say Kiev as well. But it's fun when people complain about other people doing something correctly. See, the other one is uh, the spelling of Volodymyr Zelensky, because. On his own Twitter account, and according to his own anglicized people, right. Zelensky has two Ys at the end, so it's like Zelensky E. But yeah, right. It's like it's like Zelensky was taken on on Twitter, so he had to <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> yes, uh, at President Zelensky was taken, so he had to, he had to add on an extra Y. Add another Y just to make sure. But essentially, what what English outlets, are, sorry, British and American outlets have done because it looks like a spelling mistake right. with two Ys, is they've just stuck with a singular Y, even mm. though that's tec- technically not accurate. Mm, interesting. I didn't know that one. Yeah. No, neither did I. And it's also uh, to the extent that my boss, I wrote a blog about Zelensky and why he was so great. And uh, my boss came back and said, Colin, I, have you spelt his name wrong every single time in this blog? And I said, no, that's actually how his name is. But... You, the BBC and the Daily Mail and the Guardian, all these people, just go for the anglicised bit because it will look weird and people will complain if they had a second Y. Yeah, but you know that that would be that would be a click driving thing. Spelling it correctly and making people complain that generates discussion and clicks. They should spell it with the double. Well, they got to consider their SEO. There was uh, yeah. So Sainsbury's renamed their food to Brave Keeves, oh, and uh, everybody else, or sorry, not everybody, but a lot of other brands, including I believe M and S, have changed the spelling of Chicken Kiev to Chicken Kiev, as in the K Y I V, the Ukrainian spelling. Ah, okay, I, I see. So um, I can see that one at least. Soli- but... Solidarity, you know. Yeah. So, so that's what I say. A major European war, first one in eighty years. That's why said movie reviews seemed slightly less important. Well, yeah, last we might week. we might struggle to give the reviews the adequate time again because you know oh, no. the war is still happening. The Queen still cares. It is still <laughs> definitely the first. The first ounce of like unrest in Europe since World War II. Right. Okay. Well, that's that's sort of, uh, totally accurate. So, uh, but I did say we were <laughs> going to play it on this episode, and I am a man of my word, James. So yep. we will hear from we Anthony will. later on, and also James. Yes. I have four mm-hmm. different movies to review. However, I have kept some of my reviews to two sentences. All right. We're going to so blast through them. We'll blast through them in no time at all. But anyway, it's about time we kick off. The discussion for real. 
So James, shall we uh shall we dive in? Let us let us dive. Okay, James, so we are into a third week wow. of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And once again, there has been so much happening that it feels like we'll discuss one thing and suddenly it'll be outdated or it will change. It will, yeah, immediately. For clarity, dear listener, it's six o'clock on Wednesday, the 16th of March. In seven minutes to six, just in case something really important happens at two minutes to <laughs> six. In the next six minutes, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so things may have changed and moved on by the time you hear this, but here's where we are. Yeah, yeah. The latest news is that Russia have attacked a theatre in Mariupol where civilians have been sheltering. That's according to the city's deputy mayor. There were apparently between 1,000 and 1,200 people sheltering inside with a number of casualties currently unknown. Mariupol has been in the news a lot in the last 10 days or so. It's been besieged by Russian forces. They are in, they've essentially circled the entire port with 300,000 people trapped in the city without any running water, yeah. electricity or gas. Mm-hmm. And about 400 staff and patients are still being held inside a hospital. And that's according to the Ukraine's deputy to Ukraine, sorry, deputy prime minister. And again, as of well, an hour ago, allegation from Ukraine's prosecutor general was that Russian forces had killed 10 people standing in line for bread in the city of Chernihiv, which is absolutely terrible. Well, yeah, the, the, there's an extra level of depression surrounding these things when it's just straight up like war crime level stuff. Yeah. It, like it's bad enough unjust war. It's bad enough a bunch of like young soldiers being misled to their deaths and stuff like that and a bunch of defenders having to step up and again die for no good reason stuff like that but when you're approaching things like straight up war crimes targeting civilians targeting hospitals shutting down humanitarian uh, um, routes and stuff like that it's just extra depressing and there's just yep. it's it's so hard to even like think of like how do they approve of these things even like the top of the chain of command how do they go oh yeah Good call. Well, I presume because they are delusional and have bought into this lie that Ukraine are being run by neo-Nazis and even, uh, even then, they're like, there to liberate the people. In, in what world do you like occupy and shut off a city from its supplies to to liberate them from neo-Nazis? Like it just doesn't. There's no logic there. So I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Like I'm assuming they know that they're just lying, and they they know that they're not telling the truth, and they have alternate goals. And we all know what those alternate goals are, and they've bought into that being a possibility or a necessity. But I just I do not understand the kind of headspace you have to be in to have any sort of command over a situation like this, and think that any of these moves are good. Yeah, the city of Mariupol a few days ago, the. Uh, mother and baby maternity hospital was also bombed. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, with deaths and other casualties as a result of that. Uh, and so this has been the prevailing story over the last well three weeks now. And it looks like Russian forces, um, as of yesterday, had started uh, a more serious bombardment of Kiev. A thirty-six hour curfew was announced, and that was uh, from the mayor Klitschko, the former boxing champion. Uh, and this, yeah, even even on the same day as as three prime ministers from neighbouring Poland, Czech Republic, and Slovakia got the train to Kiev and met with Zelensky to essentially as a show of support, you know, rather than yeah. than than fly in, they still got there 
um, via the train and then had a meeting, were there for a few hours and, and left, basically to show that solidarity. No, that was that was an impressive move. Like, it really was. And when it comes then to, to Zelensky himself, today he addressed US Congress. He compared what the people of Ukraine are experiencing every day to 9-11. He said they were enduring a 9-11 every moment or every day yep. as they battle Russian forces. Yep. He again urged the US and NATO to enforce a no-fly zone, saying that they need to protect the sky. But this was just a day after Mr. Zelensky admitted that Ukraine could not join NATO. And that was seen by some people as, uh, okay, this is good. We, we could be moving towards peace of some sort because now you've got the president openly admitting that Ukraine can't join. But this no-fly zone yeah. has been talked about for, for weeks now and every single time it's been brought up, it's always been kiboshed by the Allies. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's seen as a bit much of an impossibility because it would inevitably lead to to all-out war probably, right? The idea exactly, of like yep, trying yep. to force the like anyone else, especially trying to force the Russians not to fly over what they're considering a or trying to trying to pretend they consider a just war zone is just going to lead to to everyone getting involved. So it, it, like I can see why they think it's a no-go, but um I I I hope that they are considering all alternate plans to to kind of like put, put the same pressure on things and provide the same right. sort of support in different ways. Before we talk about, yeah, the, the sanctions and the, the UK's role in all this, yeah. you mentioned, James, the, the flat-out war crimes that are taking place and, and the fact that yeah. even a few days ago there were pictures of mass graves being dug outside of Ukrainian cities, which was yeah. awful to see. What, what in, in realistic terms... Can anything be done about what we're seeing, about the fact that, you know, the Russians have just bombed a theatre with a thousand people inside it, that they bombed a, a hospital for women and young children and pregnant mothers? Is straight up murdering civilians. Is there anything legitimately that the outside world can do without starting an I mean, all-out war? Ultimately, it's putting so much pressure on them economically that they have to kind of like take a step back and try and save face and then maybe hope that we get to take some of them to some sort of international criminal court kind of thing and it's not very hopeful it's not very optimistic there's not really an optimistic view out of this because russia they don't care about their own people and well sorry the leaders of russia don't care about their own people clearly and uh, they also clearly don't care about their own troops so they will just keep throwing everyone at the front line until they keep making progress and they keep marching through until they're occupying whatever they need to occupy to um, make whatever demands they want. And, and they do have that grind. And that's not something that's nice to think about, especially when it's like very tempting to be optimistic about the the high, high-level effort of defense that's going on from the Ukraine. But the way out is, is, is looking at best just to be putting so much pressure on Russia economically that they realize there is no gain here they they don't they don't regain the investment that they sunk into the into the war right and uh, they have to stop now before it gets even worse and it's about keeping countries like china from uh, offering support it's about keeping well encouraging countries like israel to stop being an avenue for russian money and stuff like that it's yeah it's, there's not really a nice a nice view on any of this and uh, like everyone who's dead is already dead. There's going to be a ton of more people dead is like every day, I guess, and it's just going to get increasingly sad. And um, but I hope 
that this will be a, f- a refresher for everyone, what it looks like to have wars going on that the media cares about, and maybe a question of like, hey, should we look at the other wars that are going on yeah. and how we're involved in them uh, pretty directly sometimes well, uh, and the impact they have on people? Well, as we talked about last time, it's the fact that it's in Europe and it's people who somewhat look like us. That's what's got people I mean, yeah, well, yeah, more yeah. engaged than wars in Syria and Yemen. <laughs> right. But I, mean, I, I guess I wasn't old enough to remember previous wars in Europe, which there have been. I don't really have much... Uh, to say regarding other conflicts that are basically within the European sphere uh, compared to this one. But we have to, we have to have the empathy kicked up a notch because we're looking at the kind of response that uh, Ukrainian refugees are getting all over Europe and it's, you know, kind of warm, pretty encouraging. They're getting a whole lot of support, a whole lot of love and affection. But when there's like other refugee crises because of wars that we're involved in, we call it like uh, we call it like a crisis, and we call it like we act like the the refugees are the problem, and they need to stop, and they need to consider more uh, other countries, and need to consider maybe staying in their own homes and stuff like that. And the, the, I don't understand that distance. It doesn't matter to me that Ukraine's a little bit closer and a little bit whiter. Um, that shouldn't really have this much of a gap. I don't understand but it does. the huge difference. I don't see how that's possible. It's in the same way that the mythical headline, and this is a myth, but it, it demonstrates the point, that the Press and Journal, this uh, northeast newspaper in Scotland, when Titanic sank, the next day, the headline of the paper was Northeast Man Lost at Sea. Right. Yeah, and it's a reflection yeah, yeah, yeah. of the fact that audiences care more about anything else one thing more than anything else and that's themselves yeah proximity so something to themselves as well yeah precisely yeah and that's why you know the the fact is we should be caring as much about every conflict that's happening but one that's halfway yeah. across the world because as you say proximity we, we care less about people in Myanmar yeah because you know half of us haven't even heard of that place but Ukraine oh gosh I've heard of them. We've their team has played football against us. Oh, we must care. I, I think there's more of of the controlling engine of the people in interest and power in it than that, though. I don't think it's just about what gets clicks. I don't think it's just about what we can empathize with. Because in other wars, we're kind of on the bad guy's side, or in other wars, we're not really invested and we're not being the good guy. We're just being a bit too neutral to be painted as anything decent. Whereas in this one, uh, the UK and the leadership of the UK is trying very hard to look very effective in shutting down this very bad war. Um, So I'm guessing that that means that the press is more free to talk about it as though we're we're, we're on the good side and therefore there will be more headlines because we feel more patriotic than we do when we hear about Yemen being bombed and occupied and we're selling guns to the bad guys or we're buying oil from the bad guys who we still want to buy oil uh, from. Yeah, I, I appreciate... Even though they're doing the same thing Russia's doing. I appreciate those are, are valid points, but also the proximity does play a role. Uh, that's a reality of news coverage, is that we care more when something happens near to yeah. us rather than far, far away. Yeah, I, I just question the overall proportion of the role considering considering the machine of propaganda that has to keep running in the UK. Okay, well, let's let's talk about Zelensky. He spoke both to Congress today, but he spoke to the House of Commons last week. He invoked uh, Winston Churchill and, you know, we'll fight them on the fields, that famous speech from yeah, World War II. Yeah, yeah. And then today with Congress, he's referenced 9-11, he's referenced Pearl Harbor. 
uh, and these are the things. And then he finished his speech in English. He also re- referenced uh, Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. For someone who is, uh, and it is one thing I've uh, written about for my for my actual job, it is that Zelensky understands the role of PR yeah. and communication and all this. Like he has, he has united that country and he has been the kind of leader who, frankly, very few of us, if any of us, could have told you what he did or what he stood for, what he was like prior to this invasion but now he's managed to get essentially the 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 free world on his side yeah and that to me is a skill both off communication and the you know his former acting and comedian yeah, he's an entertainer um, yeah. background will certainly in, inform that but also the fact that he has done what you'd want your leader to do in these situations yeah i'd say the confidence and the knowledge of how to work a crowd and to work with people's emotions has has served him well in this instance it has. he has been able to build up a lot of support and he's been able to build up a lot of empathy and like I'm not comparing him to the guy but it's the same kind of thing that Donald Trump took advantage of where Trump was taking advantage of people in a very entertainer-esque way he was just doing it in a very toxic and negative way to try and make everyone hate each other whereas uh, on the other side we got Zelensky using all of his skills to try and unite everyone against an actual common enemy um, and I'm, 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 that all I'm sure helps him and it is it's really it's really um, a powerful thing to see happen, um, especially coming from someone who, you know, he kind of just lucked his way out. Not really luck, I guess, but he kind of just like suddenly was the, the leader of a country. And he had a few good ideas, failed to failed to execute a few of them, made a few pretty bad decisions, a little bit of corruption, blah, blah, blah. But it shows that once there is a legitimate problem, and in this case, it's a huge one. Once there's a legitimate problem, oftentimes people will actually start to perform. And hey, hopefully we see other countries taking steps as well and continuing to take steps because there's a lot of countries doing really good things in response to this um, to do more. Okay, well, let's talk about doing more and talk about the UK. Yes. Let's start, first of all, with the news that a week ago, Okay. Only 50 Ukrainians had been granted visas. This is two weeks into the invasion. 50 Ukrainians had been granted visas. You know, that's 50 more than Priti Patel would have wanted. (laughs) That that is true. Shitty Chatel would have wanted none. In fact, no, she probably wanted to send 50 more (laughs) back. It was about 1%. Of the five and a half thousand people who had applied since the program launched wow. uh, a day earlier, no, I did not know that detail. One percent, <laughs> however, that's that is that's bad. Yeah, it, it is bad. Fifty is uh, bad enough, but like that turnover rate is embarrassing. The UK government said that that number was set to increase, and instead, mm-hmm. uh, as part of this, they let people in the UK, if they had homes to with space. They could sign up to a scheme that would allow them to host Ukrainian families. And after a day, almost 45,000 people had signed up to the, the this sponsorship scheme and that the website itself well, crashed amid I the think, demand. I think after a day, it was like 100,000 or something like that. It was after a few hours, it was at 40 something. It's it's like the mad sign up rate, yeah. Yeah, it, which, is, which is fantastic. And that is a reflection of the fact that... I mean, good on the people, yeah. This is something which UK, uh, British people in contrast to the government, seem to be very keen to, to do what they can to help. Well, no, yeah. uh, and that's a reflection of that. No, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a keeping an eye on it to sign up if it is proving to be somewhat effective. I'm just not going to add my mud to the water until it, until it is. 
And then we've had UK sanctions, a fourth round with 370 new sanctions. The former president was targeted, Dmitry Medvedev being those hit with asset freezes and travel bans, additional trade restrictions, including an additional 35% tariff on vodka. Other measures that were taken to tackle this, including the uh, the fast track of the Economic Crime Act, uh, which is going to target Russians with links to Putin, including the likes of Roman Abramovich, the Chelsea owner who we previously spoke about. Yeah, who very, very luckily got to like preempt it a wee bit. In, indeed, he was clearly given a nudge, uh, told to <laughs> to leave as soon as he could. But it looks by the looks of things, his assets have been frozen, and they're now trying yes. to sell the club. Yes. Now, there's there's one thing, James, to talk about here. Do you remember uh, about two years ago there was a report authorized into Russian meddling? Oh, yeah. In British elections. And then that report was sat on for about a year. It really took a while to be talked about at all. And then it kind of just got hushed when it was talked about. This seems to be all linked together. So, for example, the fact that uh, the Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee talked about this uh, new legislation coming in, which, in their words, would be the first step in helping ensure the UK is no longer a safe haven for oligarchs and their enablers. Which makes it sound like the UK, surprise, surprise, has been a safe haven for oligarchs. Shocking as all. Absolutely shocking as all. We did talk about this uh, somewhat last time round, but there is a very indelible mark in the highest uh, corridors of power in Britain, between rich Russians... Primarily in the Conservative Party. Indeed. Rich Russians and the uh, Conservatives who have been in power for the last, well, 13 years, or maybe longer than that. I mean, yeah, they had a Conservative Friends of Russia group that is really suspiciously disbanded, or it had a name name along those lines. Uh, And the the fact is, though, that after the statement from this, uh, this committee I talked about, also saying that two years ago in that report on Russian interference in British politics, the UK has been, and I quote here, welcoming Russian money for years with few, if any, questions being asked about where this considerable wealth had come from. Yep. And, you know, they're right. Two years had passed since this report and nothing was done until now. Yeah, and now they're trying to use it and use the crisis as a, well, look how effective we are at dealing with it kind of thing, while also using it as a distraction from several, like, embarrassing things they're doing on the side, kind of using it as a way to cover up a few of the ongoing stories about the Tories. Um, they have, they've taken advantage of this, and... I'm getting the sense they're still trying to keep their 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 closest friends in Russia kind of happy. Right. The, the 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 names that they're targeting are specific. Um, the people they're targeting are specific. The the like it, it, they are they're doing a little, but they could be doing a lot more to kind of do some financial harm to the evil people that are profiting from uh, Russia's general uh, misdeeds. There's, there's one final aspect I'd like to talk about, and that is uh, what's happening in Russia itself. We've seen a whole host of oh, yeah. impacts, both in business, but also in individuals. So we saw and we've seen basically every multinational company who could pull out of Russia pull out, some of which are still stuck in there, including Burger King and Marks and Spencers because of uh, ways of contracts they'd written up. But also we've seen, and, and just in the last 24 hours, some Russian state TV journalists and uh, behind-the-scenes people 
leave and uh, hand, hand in the resignations, starting with Marina Ovsianikova, who you may have seen, uh, yeah. who's an editor at the state TV channel, Channel One, interrupt a news broadcast with a placard that said, no war, and they are lying to you and all these other slogans in Russian before they quickly Mm -hmm. cut away to a different shot. Mm -hmm. She was then taken away and interrogated for 14 hours and I fully expect she will spend a considerable amount of time in jail. Like 15 years in prison, yeah, you know. Easily, yeah. And we've also then seen in the wake of that, and as, as journalists have done some digging, more and more people quitting these TV stations in Russia. Um, which has been uh, apparently, according to this article, a steady stream from the state TV. I mean, I hope this stream continues. It is encouraging in many ways to see the dissent on the streets and from uh, people within the the propaganda machine and from uh, businessmen and stuff like that. There's not enough from some of these spheres, but there is some dissent. But Russia's... The, and the leaders thereof are doing a, as much of a job as they can of shutting it all down, whisking uh, people away into vans and into prison very quickly whenever there is any any uh, uh, misstep as far as the dissent is going. We're seeing people getting uh, whisked away for holding blank signs or for holding very vague signs and things like that. It is uh, scary, and I hope that everyone who is of a more empathetic mind within this within the Russian country can continue to protest this even with all of that fear because that's got to be that's got to be a huge concern for them. And lastly, the last point I want to make here because yeah, I appreciate this is a a heavy topic with lots of different facets. Yeah, we're having to skip a bunch, yeah. Is this idea that particularly in western countries that if we impose enough sanctions the Russian people will rise up and they'll say, you know what, enough's enough. And collectively, nah. they'll do something. Yeah. Now, I was reading f- from a whole host of uh, Russian yeah. journalists and uh, experts on Twitter, and I did make sure to verify a lot of this. Essentially, what they've said is Russian people are very much individuals who stay away from collective action. And they gave an example of a diplomatic incident a few years ago yeah. between Turkey and Russia. Now, it turns out that Turkey is one of the go-to destinations for Russian holidaymakers because it's it's warm and it's fairly close by. Right. And after this terrible diplomatic incident in which everyone appeared to be very angry and state TV was telling people, oh, Turkey are terrible, they fully expected people to then shun Turkey, but actually they went in record numbers anyway. Right, right, right. And so even if there is this idea of, yes, collective action, people will still be individuals about this. Right, yeah. So rather than seeing a sort of 1910s-esque Russian revolution, which I don't think will happen. Well, yeah. What's going to happen is has got to be from the higher levels within the Kremlin. It's not going to be, you know, the people of Moscow decide to take to the streets and overthrow the, the Putin and his pals. Yeah, overthrow is looking It's unlikely. not going to happen. And this idea that the sanctions yeah. are going to lead to that is misplaced. So, it's not the goal of the sanctions either, no. Uh, to me, it's got to be focused on, as you've talked about earlier, James, draining Russia, both of its economic power, and largely coming from oil and stopping the sale of oil, but as I was also reading, the mass exodus of smart people from Russia, 
which are never even considered. Yeah. They called it this uh, no, yeah, the brain, brain drain. drain, yes. The UK is doing it too, really smartly, after Brexit. You are clued up on this. Uh, but essentially, smart people in Russia who saw the warning signs and in the early weeks, early days of the war basically thought, right, i got to get out. How do I do it? And they've gone to Uzbekistan, they've gone to Azerbaijan, they've gone to Georgia, attempting to find any way out of the out of the country. So, essentially, Russia will be drained both of its, well, all of its money, its resources, its young men, by all accounts, thousands have died already, but also, oh, yeah. it's really smart people who've all left. So, there, there's a lot, a lot of, of talent, there's a yeah. lot to, to consider there. Right, but it is also heartbreaking. When you're talking about sanctions being the solution, it doesn't leave it doesn't leave anyone unharmed. Uh, when you sanction well, countries, Russian, Russian people really struggling right now too. The people carry the burden of these sanctions ultimately. As much as their the, the goal is to make the oligarchs lose all their stuff and be unstable and have to like restore power via better means. They, they're going to act the same way as, as all of all of the rest of the countries have been doing to crises, which is you know, allow companies to raise prices, uh, don't support the people, higher cost of living, raise the taxes. The people who bear the brunt are always going to be the poorest. So therefore, we don't want some prolonged, huge thing going on with sanctions for a decade to solve this. This has to be quick. Otherwise, we'll see huge amounts of suffering, even starvation within Russia itself. And we will be in part to blame because our response wasn't targeted enough. I guess the other thing that, that caught my eye is that we are starting to see the the story that we see with most awards, which is journalists losing their lives trying to report on this. So yeah. again, it's a it's a sense it's a thing of bravery. I hope that all the journalists who want to cover this stuff can continue to be brave enough to do so because it is a vital part of this that we get uh, s- uh some untarnished from the front lines, like stories and footage that that we can trust. Um, so when all these lives are getting lost, it is scary. But I hope that they can continue um, to be brave. And I mean, like, I don't even know what to say about the people who have died. It's like they're they're incredible for the work they do. Uh, it's, it's a shame to see all of these lives lost, and it's a shame to see it in every single war. But my goodness, there are some people. Who've, brave just trying to get information out of a place so far i've seen five journalists or reporters for national news outlets who have been killed or seriously injured yeah the one today though which which annoyed me uh, and has now been somewhat corrected was the story of fox news cameraman pierre zakrowski who was killed in in ukraine but also his ukrainian producer was also killed oh and she didn't seem to make any of the headlines. She, the, she didn't. She did not get in the headline. Yeah. No. The, the screenshots of uh, the first editions of this story were only mentioning the Fox News cameraman. Wow. And it's only later uh, yeah. that uh, they've added the essentially the stringer, so the the person in media terms who knows the area, who knows where right, right. things are. To, to essentially be the, the, the guide for the shoot. Oh, without them it wouldn't happen, yeah. Uh, she was also killed. But I, yeah, there's the proximity thing you talked about. Yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, this guy was Irish and American, and we, we knew him because he worked with all our reporters. He worked for us. And there was someone else there, but we don't really care about her. <sighs> okay, let's... Move on, shall we? And 
pick up the pick up the beat. Just transition into the movies. Media. Yay. Entertainment. Okay. <laughs> James, have you finished uh, anything? Have you watched any movies, TV shows? I got some things I can talk about. Since you hey. got four films, I'll just do one. I've watched a show. What? Okay, what, what show have you watched? The Legend of Vox Machina. The, the, the what? Fox? It's Vox, V-O-X, like voice. <laughs> okay. Machina, like Interesting. machine. Uh, what, what is it? Where can I see it? It's Critical Role, the animation. Oh, what, what, what does that mean? You know that that Dungeons and Dragons uh, oh yeah s- stream the number one channel on Twitch. They finally have had their animated show released. Hey, uh, covering aspects of their first campaign. Wow, uh, I can just talk about it easy peasy. Okay, um, I talked about the, the 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 show before because it's one of the biggest shows ongoing on Twitch. Yep. Um, but this is their initially fan funded and then later on picked up by Amazon animated show. For adults. Um, for adults. Uh, I'll start off by saying that the show was entertaining for me as someone who'd seen the campaign before in roleplay form. I will say that that for adults element was pretty cringe. Uh, about as cringe as you might th- like th- remember from other shows you've seen where it's like they're just trying to nail down the this isn't for kids feeling, but they aren't doing a really good job of it. Right. Uh, that you see in a lot of Western animation, at least. Uh, so yeah, a bit a bit forced in that regard, but uh, most of the time entertaining, and it definitely hit its stride as the season went on, as they got to the more uh, prolonged and bigger stories and stuff like that. Uh, there were some pretty good in-jokes for you know people like me who've seen the whole thing before. Okay. A little bit of clunky meta humor, a little bit of clunky fourth wall stuff. A little bit, Monica. Um, overall... They they did a good job of having style and character, though they didn't just try to make a super serious uh, animated fantasy show that is bland and boring that we've seen a ton of. They, they did try to have their own flavor on things. I would be interested to know if the show and the story and the characters make sense to people who haven't seen the Twitch show or the role play stuff or the campaign because they're interesting. They're, they're drawing from very specific elements of the campaign to to make their story. They had to they had to like cut down a hundred hours of stuff into uh, twelve episodes of half an hour show, right? So wow. they had to be picky. They had to be rushed. They had to do that, and because of that, need to be rushed and need to be picky, and the need to condense character growth that took 100 hours in real time into like yep. 40 minutes uh, I, I'm interested to see if that lands for people who haven't already got the investment and already seen all of that stuff so it all makes sense. Uh, the voice work was as wonderful as you would expect from people who were already doing voice work for their entire lives um, <laughs> nice. some lines of course delivered at perfect per- perfection other ones delivered at tv standard uh character design animation in general it's about what you'd expect from a cartoon on amazon you know pretty good fair enough obviously spent a lot of money uh and obviously spent that money fairly and not driving people below minimum wage too far because of course even western studios have pretty scummy standards uh, but because they haven't done that, it has got those weaknesses that you see when people have actually like reasonably paid for animation. Doesn't get as much mileage for per pound. Um, but yeah, as I said, because of the the rushed element, or because they had to compress so much, there is like the occasional shallowness that you would see, even when it comes to things like 
what they're choosing to animate, what they're choosing to focus on. But okay. there were scenes and stills and frames that were masterpieces that will be going on people's like CVs until they die. There was some really good stuff there. Oh. Um, it was really cool to see a show that embraced the mechanics of a game like uh, Dungeons and Dragons, where uh-huh. if you understand the rules of the role-playing stuff, you'll be like, haha, I see what they did there. Uh, and But if you don't, you might just like not get those moments. Uh, so, an example being a character closing their eyes to fight better. Doesn't make much sense unless you know the rules behind that character. Right. I am looking forward to more seasons. There are more seasons confirmed because Amazon picked it up. Um, even though that kind of betrayed the the fan funded element of this show, I'm I'm glad that it's been confirmed. Okay, that there is more, and I'm hoping they finish the whole campaign because it would be a shame just to do some of it. Excellent. Okay, well, before we hear from Anthony with his two reviews, dear listener, if you have watched a movie, uh-huh. finished a TV show, read a book, or had a nice meal, or like me, oh. bought a new mattress and are going to test it out later, sure. By and by that I mean sleeping on mm-hmm. it. I suppose to anything else you can review it in audio form send it to us seesawparade at gmail.com and we will play it on the show James before we do that though I have seen four movies and I actually have written these down so I could keep this short because I realise we'd be tight for time so I believe in you let's start with Tick Tick Boom this is a new musical from the busiest man in Hollywood Lin-Manuel Miranda who does everything but this is actually his first time directing uh, he's done the acting, he's written the music, he's done scripts, all the sorts of stuff he's produced stuff. This is directing. It is on Netflix, oh. and it is Oscar-nominated for Andrew Garfield, who's in the lead role. Right, he yeah, also yeah, won yeah. the uh, Golden Globe, but no one really cares about that. He is playing the role of true, real-life person, writer and creator of the musical Rent, Jonathan Larson. Oh, yeah. Okay. And how he is... It's essentially a film about the creative process of how he got to rent one of the most successful Broadway musicals of all time. Oh, yeah. But he died before the first showing, which is incredibly sad. But this movie, it's very easy to see why it's been getting all the plaudits, all the praise. The music is great. The songs are very catchy. And, of course, there are Jonathan Larson's songs, performances, choreography, all top tier. It's well-directed, cleverly edited. It's a lot of fun. It's funny. Okay. Really solid 8 out of 10. And it's good. It's a good, like, background movie. Okay. So if you want to stick something on that's kind of cheery and upbeat and Nice. nice and snappy, tick, tick, boom. Check it out. All right. Okay, moving on. Uncharted. Oh, gosh. Going from the the sublime to the downright silly. This is the Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg-led adaptation of the PlayStation game Uncharted. It's out in cinemas right now. It's directed by Ruben Fleischer, who has fallen upward since directing Zombieland. He's done basically every (laughs) mediocre action film and franchise going. This film, James, lost me after 45 seconds. So, picture the scene. A military plane flying at 300-odd miles an hour, thousands of feet in the air. Oh, this is the part from the trailer. Cargo has fallen out. It's fluttering behind it. Yeah, this is the trailer. And Mr. Holland is jumping from box to box, defying every rule of science and physics to get himself back on this plane. In the the Hobbit films. Like Last in the Hobbit, exactly. Okay. 
This is, this movie is just another bad video game adaptation to add to the list. It is mediocre Ah. in every single way. And by the time I got to the finale, where two helicopters are flying wooden ships, um, (laughs) basically into each other, I I thought, you know what? This film actually does know it's silly and it's it's just leaning into it. But by that point, it's neither funny enough. Too late, yeah. Nor actiony enough uh, to be any good the only saving grace is uh gratuitous shots of uh, shirtless tom holland uh, tom holland so uh, that's okay yeah, yeah okay, i give okay. it i give it an extra point for that so four out of ten one po- all right so, so like two of the four was like one for each nipple <laughs> and uh third for the abs so yeah that was um <laughs> uncharted avoid oh that's such a shame because it's such a beloved thing it's got such well-defined characters and, and well-defined abs defined style that <laughs> It's so hard to flop that. It's, uh, how do they keep flopping these? Oh, we will have that's that's a discussion for long longer form seesaw parade, right? Add that to the oh, list. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Anyway, third third of the four films turning red. This is the new Pixar movie. Oh, there's a new which is one? on Disney Plus. Yes, it's new uh, new Pixar. Oh, I did not know. So this is um, oh, it's gone straight to Disney Plus, as far as I'm aware. Okay. It's a coming of age movie about the uh, about Chinese Canadian teenager Mi Lin okay. who turns into a giant red panda when her emotions get too high oh. and uh, she is also as this is happening going through puberty and hiding it all from her very traditional mother so this film actually surprised me in how it dealt with some heavy issues fairly well I don't really remember Pixar ever doing puberty before, so that's yeah, like they have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was good. You know, there was discussion of periods, so that's that's good. And uh, the animation, genuinely valuable. Yeah, vocal performances, cultural references, all excellent. It's the fact that you know it's a Chinese Canadian family rather than just hey, here's a Chinese family in China, uh, and so it, it, to me, it worked to an extent, but it is definitely still a notch below Pixar's best stuff but i did enjoy it more than i thought i would okay it has been largely praised by critics but some people have complained they didn't enjoy it because of the overt chinese cultural references and that the movie apparently encourages children to disobey their parents conveniently forgetting (laughs) about you know inside out little mermaid pixar disney brave like come on parents are boring cinderella The list goes on. <laughs> funny, funny how, yes, that's what they take issue with, with this particular film where the main character is called Mi Lin. Interesting. How about that? Yeah, interesting. Anyway, that's that's a 7 out of 10. And lastly, Being the Ricardos. All right. Which is uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Okay. It is on Amazon Prime. It was in cinemas at the tail end of last year very shortly. This has got Oscar nods for Nicole Kidman, Javier Bardem, both in the lead roles, and also J.K. Simmons, who's in a supporting role. So I thought, I should check this out to see... Sounds top quality. See what it's all about. Exactly. Now, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem are playing the lead actors, uh, Lucille Ball and uh, Denny somebody, who were the lead performers in I Love Lucy, which is, Uh, according to Wikipedia, the biggest sitcom of all time, from the 1950s. Yeah. It turned out that... Basically, everybody in the whole of America watched this show in the 1950s. I'm not in America, but I know what it is. It must have been pretty impactful. And the best way to describe... I'm also not from the 50s. Also true. The best way to describe this film is it is a very Aaron Sorkin movie. Oh. So, 
sharply written, okay. great performances, yeah. spitfire dialogue, nice. but way too long and quite dry rather okay. than the, the, the zipping from okay. scene to scene which you get in Tick Tick Boom. Needs to hire an editor who doesn't like them. Yeah, it's the fact though that the movie is very talk heavy. You know, it's rather than set pieces, everything is happening, ironically, on sets or in writer's rooms. Right, yeah. And there are some, you know, there, there is the, the semblance Hard of... to add energy. Right, there's a semblance of relationships being built. But when you say, you know, adding energy, you get the energy from the dialogue. That's it. Right. So, but rather than it being like, a, you know, The Social Network is a great example of an Aaron Sorkin movie, which zings. Yeah. This movie, being the Ricardos, does not. However, Nicole Kidman absolutely will win the Oscar for Best Actress. I'm staking my oh, claim there. Okay. Place okay. your bets. She just disappears into Lucille Ball to the extent you forget you're watching an Australian Nicole Kidman. Right. She's so good. And even though I don't know the person she's playing... I just I just think oh I'm just watching Lucille Ball. Whereas, did she do method acting? No, not really. Did she have to rely on crutches and do <laughs> method acting? Well, not as far as I know, but she was working with okay. Aaron Sorkin, who apparently is the most demanding director in all of Hollywood. Oh. The, the problem I had with Javi Bardem is I still felt like I was watching Javi Bardem, yeah, as opposed to uh, Desi, yeah. who's the character he's playing. He doesn't quite disappear usually, yeah. But he, he was very good. He why. was most enjoyable. He is great. An incredibly charismatic actor, one of my favourites. But uh, yes, No Country for Old Men. That is peak Bardem for me. True. Okay. Yeah. James, those were, those were four reviews. That was impressive. Wow. <laughs> of all of them, and this is to you as well, dear listener, Tick, Tick, Boom is a lot of fun. Even if musicals are not really your thing, it's really nicely told. And the songs are catchy. So do go check that out. All right. Okay, James, uh, time for our listener review. And this is from Anthony, who's going to tell us about a couple of movies. So here we go. Take it away. Hi, Seesaw Parade. Hi. Anthony here with another review for not one, but two films this week. Six films in one week. With the recent marking of 50 years since Bloody Sunday, I thought I'd be thematic with my movie viewing. The first movie I saw was 71, a 2014 action thriller about a British soldier who, after being recently deployed to Belfast and after a raid he was present for got out of hand, became separated from his platoon and was left behind quote-unquote enemy lines for an evening. The soldier played by Jack O'Connell spends the night being chased by IRA gunmen and often finds himself having to trust strangers with unknown or blurred allegiances. Hmm. The cat-and-mouse nature of the film coupled with these characters we meet throughout the movie um, make for great suspense throughout. Nice. Mind you... It is a heavy movie with a couple screamer spots, uh, but it's certainly worth the watch. Nice. The characters, though we only get to know them for a short while, are pretty well developed and they're certainly complex. And I think they fairly embody the complexity of the troubles itself. Be prepared for lots of betrayal and double crossing in this movie. Just gotta say that yeah so uh as an american commenting on this historical fiction movie and ultimately the troubles itself i apologize for any potentially inflammatory comments to follow so by nature since our protagonist was a british soldier stranded in belfast and our antagonists were ira gunmen in hot pursuit of him Mm -hmm. 
it does paint an unsettling good guy, bad guy picture. Yeah. There were, however, some redeeming moments in cutaway scenes that did try to de-emphasize this dichotomy and show show a reality that was not so clean cut. Mm -hmm. But despite that, I picked up on an overwhelming sense that the presence of the British soldiers to support the RUC was very passive and that they were innocent in this conflict. Ah. While O'Connell's character, yes, might have been guilt-free in the larger Troubles conflict, as he was just a kid from Derbyshire who found himself in Belfast, the institution he was a part of definitely had blood on its hands historically as well as during that period. Um, All right, now for the second film, which Colin already reviewed, the seven-times Oscar-nominated movie, Belfast. Ah. I guess because I first watched such a heavy and real representation of the Troubles, this, I felt, in contrast, was too sterilized. I get that it's told through the eyes of a child who's just living his life and that it's meant to be heavily nostalgic. (laughs) I appreciate this fresh perspective on telling the story of growing up during the Troubles, but it didn't live up live up to the hype that um, I'd been hearing thus far. Oh. Don't get me wrong, the acting was superb, and the characters were charming and meaningful and developed and all that. But the gravitas for this moment in history seemed to be lacking. And on James's point, uh, when Colin reviewed it, um, I think the decision to have this movie in black and white uh, contributed to the sterilization and attempted placement of this period in the distant past. Okay. Oops. I think together these films provide a more realistic representation of life during the start of the Troubles, because not every day was terror and violence. Mm-hmm. Resilient people lived their lives, and they continued on. They had to. They had fun. They had crushes. They danced in the street. They listened to music. They went to the cinema. But those harsh realities were there, um, and they should not be forgotten. Additionally, these movies raise awareness of the realities facing children who grow up in the midst of conflict, whether that be dealing with tragedy, uh, peer pressure, having to heavily compartmentalize the crazy, horrible things they see. All right, uh, I've gone on far too long. I hope Colin (laughs) trims this down. Watch these movies. Bye. We'll see if I'll trim any of that down, to be honest, because knows, yeah. I, we'll find out. But here's the, here's the thing, and thank you, Anthony. Those are both very thorough reviews, as ever. Mind-expanding reviews. Much appreciated. So, I, as, as mentioned, I have seen both of those movies, 71 when it came out, and I agree with Anthony in that it's very it's a very well done movie in terms of like an action movie. If you had set that anywhere else with like right. two opposing groups, I think it would have been more effective. But it's the fact that yeah. you've got Jack O'Connell, who's a very good actor, essentially playing like oh sympathetic little British shoulder, British shoulder. Oh no, here comes the IRA. Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> Not the evil it just guys. made me feel a bit like I don't think I'm comfortable with this. So whilst it is, I completely agree, yeah. a very engaging and suspenseful movie I was uncomfortable with the politics that were at play and in contrast to that and I'll come to you in just a second in contrast to that I felt like Belfast did have a more nuanced approach to it because rather than feeling like the be all and end all of this really historic moment 
it, the whole film is told through the eyes of an eight-year-old. Yeah. And to an eight-year-old, it's not a historic moment. It's a Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like the, the nuances in the, the fact that, you know, there were just a street in Belfast... I thought was well handled and better handled than 71. Okay, but yeah. that, that having, having said that, if you're watching the two of them in juxtaposition, I can see why there would be certain inferences you would take from one into the other. Yes, yes. Whereas for me, you know, I watched them eight years apart and can still remember that 71 just didn't sit right with me. Yeah. But that's really interesting. Thank you for the review. No, yeah, I, I can see why the limited scope of like age and location of, of Belfast as a film does by default maybe overly sanitize it because... I I think that when it's coming to people and how they treat children during wars and and unrest, they get things sanitized. Right, exactly. So <laughs> it makes it makes good sense that the the child the, the child perspective in a very limited location as well would would not have uh, quite as much of a of a this is all terrible view. Yeah. yeah, and it's the fact that you know rather than rather than Belfast attempting to tell the story of the troubles, it was attempting to tell the story of this little boy and his experience of of the start of the troubles. So that's where I I gave it. Yeah, that's where I would disagree with Anthony and that I felt like that it did hit the the reality of what that was like in the early okay. days. I mean, that's just the opening what. Ten, so it, two weeks. It did what it aimed to do. In in my mind, it did. But I agree that because it is largely based on director Kenneth Branagh's memories growing up. Yeah, it's difficult to to question the authenticity. True. Of course, there's going to be some some artful uh, touches, and as, as you say, the black and white is certainly one that, in hindsight, I can say, yeah, it's it's attempting to paint it in the distant past. Whereas you know, these issues are still very much yeah. rife today. Okay, they might be not as prevalent or as visible as they were. So I, I take that on board. But in terms of the, the way in which it told the story of those opening weeks, okay. I think I got a spot on. And I, I did really enjoy okay. it. I'm, 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 ex- I'm enjoying the expansion of my, my mind regarding this film before I've even seen it. <laughs> this is cool. I would, I would really value your take on it. So when you do get a chance to oh, see okay. it, as I say, it's only 90 minutes. So it's, it's very much yeah, yeah, a digestible yeah. come movie. Across it, I'll be... Anyway, James, a couple of uh, trailers to talk about before we wrap up the show. Oh, Let's start with wow, yeah. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Balls. Talent. Which is Nick Cage... Playing Nick Cage. Here's a clip. We got another offer. What's it about? You head to southern Spain and you attend a wealthy gentleman's birthday party. I would never do that. It's a million bucks, Nick. I'll take it. I'm so happy that you're here. Is this supposed to be me? It's grotesque. I'll give you 20,000 for it. Okay, James, this movie yeah. currently... Okay is 100% rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa! <laughs> and I read an interview with Nicolas <laughs> yeah. Cage saying he will never watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see why, because he's not playing Nick Cage. He's playing what we perceive Nick Correct. Cage to be. yes. Which is a little bit unhinged and high maintenance. So I can see why he might not enjoy <laughs> revisiting that character again. I think what I would like to do is watch, kind of like Anthony did with his doubleheader, I'd like to watch Pig, which was... Nicolas Cage's, I would say, most recent film prior to this one, okay. which was uh, shown at South by Southwest at the Toronto Film Festival at Sundance, and um, is essentially about a man's relationship with his pet pig, and right. was was largely praised for Mr. Cage's performance. And then watch this movie, which I think is out in cinemas in about six weeks' time, because <laughs> it just looks like the total opposite. 
I, you know, I'm up for that. Well, yeah, I think it's deliberately a total opposite. It's really cool to see a film that is just trying to be exactly what it tells you it's going to be. It, it, yes. From I guess from the trailer and from what people are saying about it, it is what you would expect. And it, it isn't taking itself super seriously in, in a way that is like going to throw you off, but it's taking itself seriously enough in that it is trying hard to do all the things it is doing. And that effort is, of course, going to help it land. And when it's something that's as self-referential as someone playing themselves doing something, uh, it's it's obviously going to be hard to get it right. So hearing that they maybe have got it right is really cool because the trailer just had me smiling the whole time. It looked so goofy and... <laughs> and uh, like even though some of the jokes were just not even that funny, I was just like I was enjoying them anyway because the fact that they were it was Nick Cage playing Nick Cage not doing a good joke made really good sense to me. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah, no. So it's like if you haven't seen the trailer, go, go watch, watch it. the trailer because it is something else. Um, and like Nicolas Cage, like as much as he's played a ton of characters that are just a hundred percent nonsensical, and he goes. He goes 100% into it anyway, and therefore he ends up with this reputation of being like this overzealous actor who can't actually act. When he tries, he's pretty good. Absolutely. That's why Pig is on the list. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about our final trailer here. It is for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Ewan McGregor. McGregor. <laughs> I had to think about that. <laughs> Repreising his role from Star Wars. Here's a clip. Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. The Jedi code is like an itch. He cannot help it. Where is he? Okay, James, so I read that this was actually meant to be a film and then after Solo, that prequel with Alden oh, Ehrenreich yeah, flopped, yeah, I forgot, yeah. they decided, oh dear. We'll make it TV quick, instead. Let's let's make this into a TV show. What do you think? Well, I, I think they could have made it a film, but I kind of like TV more than films for a lot of these things anyway, so I'm kind of happy yep. as long as they've given it the old Disney budget. <laughs> um, the trailer really won me, but I think it's because they used a whole bunch of cheap tricks that I was okay with like what? this time. So they used music that I already liked. <laughs> they used scenery that I already knew and was familiar with. So it was a very comfy trailer for somebody who's a fan of these characters and stories. Okay. Um, I, I, I worry, though, that this is not going to land for me. Why? Because I think they're doing something weird with it. I I, <laughs> I know, I guess it's, it's not really spoilers because it's all been told to us and it was kind of in the trailer, but they're going to have Darth Vader in this. Yes. Um, and I thought maybe they're going to have him in like flashback form or in like an alternate story form, but I'm hearing rumors that he and Obi-Wan meet, which wouldn't make sense to me. Um, Why? Based off like how the how the original trilogy treats those characters. They. It's not, okay. it's not treated as though two people are meeting for the fifth time since they <laughs> split up their master and apprentice relationship. Um, the the, the plotline with the Inquisitor characters could be really cool, but I don't want to see them going down another like, here's the bad guy. Oh, look, they're sympathetic, actually. Oh, now they're redeemed. We've seen too much of that. Okay. I just want some bad guys to be bad. Yep. Uh, and maybe, maybe like have have a future set up for the redemption i'm just tired of all of these one-shot tv shows having the bad guy turn good every single time um but no overall it looks like they've given it some attention and care 
Um, I think it's kind of weird to be back on Tatooine again. I it makes me wish that they set the Boba series not on Sand Planet <laughs> because the Obi Wan series had to be on Sand Planet. And I have I'm, I've had too much of Sand Planet. Now. Okay, it's, it's I've visited this one planet too many times. Final question. Um, Final question. Okay. Okay. Does a show in which we know the prequel or the title character survives slash can't die? Right. Yeah. Does that make you less invested in it? It makes me less invested in whether you're going to die or not. But because I like the character and I want them to add depth, I'm invested in seeing that character depth being added. Okay. It just so long as they don't do the thing where it's like cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Oh, did he die? It's fine. <laughs> but I'm guessing that they're going to do that at least twice, which I hate. Which the which the if they do that, I will dislike the show a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I'm I like I'm okay with knowing that a character lives, right? It's the same thing for something like Better Call Saul. I know he makes it to Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. I just like seeing how he got there. Um, stuff like that. I do know that they have released the info that this show did get respect. It was initially too depressing for Disney, so they got a rewrite from the guy who wrote The Army of the Dead to make it less depressing. All right. So that's probably not going to be good for me because I'm I'm pretty good with depressing shows. Right, James, we do have a positive story to talk about. Lo and behold... It's like making a COVID pun. British Iranian nationals Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe and Anushe Ashuri are heading back to the UK. Wow. After, in Mrs. Zaghari Ratcliffe's case, six years... Wow. ...in Iranian prisons and in home or uh, at house arrest. So we'll, co- we'll come back to this the second uh, character in the story, Anushe Ashuri, because... Don't know about you, but that's the first time I've heard that name. And yep, I, sus- I did not know that I one. suspect there's a reason for that. I'll come back to that later on. But uh, yeah, after six years, Miss um, Z- Zagari Ratcliffe was first arrested under uh, oh, accusations that she was spying right. for the British government. And then Boris Johnson didn't help things by saying in Parliament oh, that yeah. she was training Iranian journalists, ah, which she absolutely was not. Yeah, but we've had, uh, for example, we've had the husband of Mrs. Zagari Ratcliffe, who's been on hunger strike numerous times outside uh, Downing Streets in an attempt to make the UK do something. And essentially what has happened in the last uh, few weeks is that relations between the two countries have got better and the UK settled a £400 million debt over tanks mm, that they had, uh, right. the Iranians had paid for and uh, Brits never delivered, Yeah, literally. Right. So after all that, uh, the passports of both the, uh, both the individuals here were handed back and they are on their way back to the UK. Yeah. So for Mrs. Zagari Ratcliffe, she'll see her daughter for the first time. He's now seven after six years wow. away and uh, being reunited with her husband. Now, James, before we get to the diplomacy aspect of this, I did mention Anushe Ashuri. Right. Who, similarly to the Fox News journalist and producer I mentioned earlier, was strangely absent from Most almost every single story, every headline I've ever read about Mrs. Zagari Ratcliffe. Yeah. And I believe that's because... Oh no. Mrs. Zagari Ratcliffe is an attractive woman with a young child okay. and a family. Yes, yes. Whereas Mr. Ashuri is a okay. man in his 60s. Right. Who as apparently we just care less about. I guess so. Is that fair? 
Well, no, that's that's that's. I didn't. I I don't. I don't have a clue about his end of the story. So there has to be something to do with it that is along those lines. It's just someone who's a less sympathetic character, less headline worthy. I guess not so not so f- f- uh, yep. photogenic, and all of those things affect who gets reported on. I mean, he's been in there. He's been in Iran for five years. Yeah, was also arrested on accus- over accusations of spying, which were also untrue. Boris didn't tell them that he was doing something he wasn't doing, at least. So that's 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 nice. He was so invisible that Boris didn't gaff. What do you think of this news, though? I mean, this is good news, particularly no, for, it... for her family and her husband, who has been in the, the headlines a lot over the years, going on hunger strike when the UK government were seemingly doing nothing or Boris was putting his foot in his mouth. Well, they were doing very little, and it is good to see something finally getting done about it, some, some improvement in relations and stuff like that. It's great to see people getting freed from un just imprisonment and things like that that's always going to be a great story i think part of the thing that i'm confused about is why on earth is like a a tank debt getting tied into this at all i i think the uk gov didn't want to tie the tank debt into it they did which not. is maybe why it took them so long and they've just given up i guess to try and get a good headline maybe um, but it's really weird to me that we just didn't want to pay someone's debt. We're the UK, right? Hey, we're the good guys. We're the rich guys. I, th- I think the if good we, guys. If I think if we owed a country a debt because we didn't deliver on something, we'd be happy to pay it. But it looks like to me, we've said we'll give you the money back, but only if you spend it in the way we like, which is very billionaire of us, you know? <laughs> it is. Okay, very let's move on. Very philanthropic to say, hey... <laughs> You only get the money if I get to be in charge of it. Okay, so here's the the penultimate story we'll talk about. Scotland's rules on face coverings in shops and on public transport is to stay in place until April Good. after COVID cases hit an all-time high. So all other restrictions yeah. on businesses and services will move from legal requirements to guidance as of Monday. But First Minister Nicola Sturgeon said it would be prudent to keep mask rules in place due to this spike in cases. This will then be reviewed again on April f- well in the next two weeks and then converted to guidance once again by April 4th yeah so this rise in infections um, has gone up significantly I-, I can think of at least two dozen people I know who've got COVID this year alone yes. and the fact that this is being replicated across the country meant that something like one in 15 Scots last week had COVID that's, that's mad. that though is counteracted by the fact that the amount of people in intensive care is around about 24. Yeah, the the, uh, the burden still uh, hasn't like crippled the hospitals, but I'm assuming that there's there's they're they're more burdened than they'd like to be. So so for example, the number of people in hospital with covid, which 3 weeks ago was uh, just over 1000, as of today is four short of 2000. So whilst that's not at crippling NHS levels, it's still a lot of people. Yeah, it's not exactly ideal at all. So I'm glad right. there's some rules being kept. So, so my, my only question then, James, is, and as someone who was in the gym earlier and <gasps> saw maybe about Ugh. three people with masks on, oh, I so think the people have just kind of gone, nah, it's fine. It's done now. And they're ju- they're just going to go on without masks as is. I was I was really hoping, and like it's it's one of those things like everything's awful. Let's try and find a silver lining. Hope I was really hoping that the collective slightly better wellness in general we all experienced from yep. masking up and washing hands more diligently and stuff like that would stick with people a little yeah. bit. That maybe they'd like to not have a mild cold every other week, and maybe they'd like to not have the flu once a year. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't look like the uptick is going to be that huge. 
personally, I'm still going to be keeping the, the mask for most public ventures for a very, very long time, possibly for the rest of my existence. Who knows? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm glad that it's going to be a rule for a while, but I don't really know if it's being enforced very much. I do know that whenever I've used public transport, people do seem to be wearing masks yeah. uh, more than in like just if they're in a cafe or if they're in the gym and stuff like that. So so there is, there is, there is some level to it that is good. I'm glad that the rule is being extended to try and make this rise not cripple the NHS. It would be great if the NHS can be not crippled. Um, I, I, I kind of, I, I do hope that we have collectively as a society learned a lesson here about being a little bit more healthy. I would say part, some of us have. And to, to give you an example, I would continue to wear masks when, for example, the place I'm going into is absolutely rammed because that makes sense. There is so much bacteria and virus going about that that makes sense to me. If I'm the only person in a carriage on a train, or if I'm the only person in the gym at five past two on a Wednesday morning, I'm less likely to wear a mask. So to me, it's got to be about common sense whilst also knowing that, yes, we all have a much better understanding of how these viruses are transmitted because I've not had a cold since before the pandemic, and I would quite like to keep it that way. Well, yeah, I'd like to see... The, the nation to become a nation where wearing a mask is just a completely neutral thing rather than something that is seen but as it's like going to be politicized being the sheeple or like yes. being weird i hope that we keep seeing mask wearing be a thing in uh, pr things and in marketing things even after the pandemic is done so that it can be more normalized and so that people will be less embarrassed too because oftentimes embarrassment overtakes common sense and I, and I hope that people will be more free to just do what they think is smart rather than what they think lets them not be seen by a bunch of people okay and the final story we want to talk about is that of jesse smollett who was sentenced oh uh, last week maybe 10 days ago to a prison sentence, which was what six months in total, James? Yeah, f- yeah, six months alongside like repaying the state for the investigation costs or so. I don't know, and then, like getting fined as well, and then like probation afterwards. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. So it was 150 days. So it's uh, five months. Wow. Uh, starting a sentence immediately, ordered to pay over 120 thousand pounds in restitution, and was fined 25 thousand yeah, dollars. Yeah. I should say. So it had a weird, dramatic. I'm not suicidal speech. Yeah. Trying to keep the act up that he is the victim of some state cover-up for something, I guess. I don't really yeah. know. I, I did see that. He, he stood up and it was like, Judge, I respect you, but I want to make one thing clear. I am not suicidal. Yeah, I'm not yeah. suicidal. And if, if, I'm find, if I'm found dead, you know what's up. Yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking, yeah. wait, are you trying to paint yourself as some sort of, yeah, he's con- the heart of a giant conspiracy? Yeah, he, he's trying to make, the, he's trying to reframe the victim thing because his initial victim things didn't work and I you know he really needs to have dropped it by now it's, so rather uh, than rather than staging you know the uh, the fake attack he is now saying he's being staged yeah and like I really hope this doesn't mean that he's going to try and stage a suicide attempt like how bizarre it's like this is like this is getting really murky for the guy he needs to just just be invisible for the rest of his existence now and just try and live a happy life rather than <laughs> yep. keep this drama going. But like, it's not looking good. You know, what, what happens in theory to, to someone like that after they finish their prison sentence? Because in terms of you know Hollywood, he's done. Well, it depends on his connections, right? If he's got the right connections, he's not done even in Hollywood. Uh, anything <laughs> can be wielded into a career if you know the right people. But... Like probation and whatnot. He, he, hopefully, he can just like 
disappear into mediocrity, taking up like maybe like radio adverts and stuff like that because he's less recognizable okay. there. <laughs> True. Who knows? Like, yeah, he, like this is justice. He's going to prison. He's going to do his time. He's going to pay the fine. That means we should all collectively like be ready to forgive him. Yep. But he's not apologizing. So I'm not going to. And I hope the states aren't either. <laughs> okay, James. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. Another full and in-depth one with far more to talk about than we could possibly fit in but dear listener thank you very yeah. much for listening very much do appreciate it at seesawparade on twitter seesawparade at gmail.com or just like reach out to us directly even better just say hello yeah love it and uh, james thank you for your time and zelda who i could i could hear at the very end she's decided it's time for food in the last few minutes there <laughs> well there if it's her time for food so it's mine as well indeed so thank you for the reminder zelda and uh Jimbo, thank you for your time. We'll see you next week. I'll see you too. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Take care.